Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We were there last week and we, we didn't progress as far as I'd hoped. And so if you weren't here and you're a husband, you didn't miss the sermon for you, uh, you you're right on time. Ephesians 5, and I want to read for sake of context, verse 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound because and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Remember last week, as we were talking about these verses, I said to you, it is not that I stand here and you sit there because I'm the example. I do it all right. I'm not the perfect husband. Not even close. But there is in each of us the Spirit of God saying your marriage preaches the gospel or your marriage as a Christian denounces the faith that you proclaim with your mouth. That's how serious our marriages are. If you're a believer, your marriage is either bringing people to Christ or it is pushing people away from Christ. Because when they see you, they see either Christ or a worldly man. They see either the church or a godless woman. And there's some things I think we should remember as we look through this. We're focusing on gospel. The title of this sermon series is The Gospel-Centered Marriage. The Gospel-Centered Marriage. And being a gospel-centered marriage is more than coming to church together. Sending your kids to Sunday school. Making a tithe checkout. Having a gospel-centered marriage, though it may and does contain all of those things, speaks really to the heart of your love, men, for your wife. And women, it really speaks to the heart of whether you submit willingly with a choice you make to your husband. You know, in our world, things are kind of backwards. That's no profound statement, right? In our world, the greatest uh, aspect of your marriage will always be romanticism. That's what the world will push to you. Some of you men have felt that pinch already, haven't you? Zales ran a 50% off sale because if you love her, you will buy her a diamond this Christmas season. And not only do you buy the diamond, but you better be clever with how you give it to her. Isn't it funny how all the commercials, guys, do you not feel the tension of this season? All of the commercials, the sleigh is sledding through a, three feet of snow. The campfire, I mean, the, the fire is burning warm around the home. All the stockings are hung with care. 
A beautiful Christmas tree is lit in the back. Y'all are laying together romantically ooing over one another on a white bear rug. <laughs> and that's when you say, because I love you. <laughs> I mean, guys, we feel it every day, right? And ladies, not so much for you, except that when your man doesn't do that, you think, does he really love me? The Bible knows nothing of that. It doesn't say you shouldn't love your wife in that way. It just says that's not love. But this is love. That a man lay down his life for his friends. No greater love has any man than this. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were unlovable. Christ died for us. That's the way the Bible speaks of love, women. Would you look at your man and say, he dies for me. More often than not, he dies for me. I know he doesn't love his job every day, but he gets up and he gets dressed and he shows up and he works hard and he dies to himself for me and my home. That's a Christmas gift that goes year round. No, he didn't, he didn't go out and buy what we couldn't afford and put it on a credit card and hope he can pay it off by July. But I tell you what he did do. Last night, he took a Bible out and he put my children around a table or around a cut sofa. And he said, let's just spend 10 minutes together reading God's Word. That's a gift. That's communicating love. And He showed you love this morning when you were sinning. And He looked at you with piercing eyes to say, that's not pleasing to God. Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Can I bear your burden? Love is not always agreeing with you, nor is it always approving of you, but it's always pushing you toward Christ. If He does that faithfully, ladies, Zales can't sell you anything prettier. That's what this passage is talking about. Men, following a passage about submission, He does not tell you to be a leader. He tells you to love. Do you get that? Too many times in our world, being a Christian husband has been boiled down to tell your wife how she should live her life. Dominate her. Keep her in her place. That's not the biblical command. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, men, subject your wives to your leadership. Everywhere and in every condition, God says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Or He says, value her as the weaker vessel, knowing that if you don't value her because you're a weak vessel, God won't listen to your prayers. 
Everywhere it says these things. Nowhere does it say, put her under your thumb. Treat her second class. But just the opposite. The crown Christ presented back to His Father after His death when He entered heaven was the church. That was the crown. That was the jewel that He died for. And He laid it at His Daddy's feet. And it is that crown that His Father will crown His head with in His coronation of His kingdom. In His coming. That's why in every place you see Christ coming on the clouds, He comes with saints robed in white. Those aren't angels. Those are His saints. Because God has crowned Him with His saints. His glory is the church and the glory of the church is Him. And they both are the glory of the Father. Is that true of your marriage? The world gets us off track and the church often promotes it with this romanticism. There's another angle at which the church primarily gets us off track and that is you need to love your children. The Bible puts the order correctly. Men, you are lying to yourself, to your family, and to God above if you say you love your children and do not love your wife. The Bible always emphasizes husbands love wives. If you do that, your children will not only know you love them, they will see it lived out in front of them. You want, your, you want your little girls to grow up and choose godly men? Be a godly man. Love your wife. She won't settle for second best. That's the picture. That's, that's the message of the Bible. Love. Husbands, love your wives. God's love. Not the world's love. Not emotionalism. But decision. How did God love us? That's the question. What does it mean to have a Christ-like love? That's what we have to answer in verse 25. We see clearly that we're to love our wives, but it's not just that. It's love them as Christ loved the church. And how did He do that? Well, Christ's love for the church, I see it in these ways. It is unmerited. It is intense. It is unending. It is unselfish. It is purposeful. It is manifested Clearly, for the world to see through sacrifice. So men, this is your sermon. To learn to love your wife, you must look at Christ and His love is contained in these things. Now, if we're looking, if we're going to look to each of those seven things together, we need to begin with the passages like Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. Some have called it the John 3.16 of Paul. And, I, and I, want to, I want to read it to you. I quoted it earlier, but I want to read it to you. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this passage, we're reminded that Christ's love was given to people who had not merited it, who did not deserve it, who had done nothing to earn it, there was nothing that compelled him to love those who he loved outside of himself. It's a popular thing to talk about how do we choose spouses. 
There are a lot of ways and a lot of factors, but let me say this. It is not wrong to will that. This whole, again, this whole idea of the world pumps of there's only one person for you, a soulmate. What happens if your soulmate was born in Bangkok? Have you ever been to Bangkok? Do you plan to go? How will you ever meet her? And if you don't meet her, you're going to marry the wrong person. And your life's going to be hell on earth. And you're going to divorce that wrong person to marry another wrong person. Because you can't get to Bangkok. And you don't even know she's there. You don't even know what you're supposed to look for. It's just some chemical reaction, right, that happens when you see her. Y'all's eyes locked from across the room and it's a done deal. That stuff, listen to how silly that is. You don't buy a car that way. Silly. Then how do we choose? We choose. You say, why did you marry Amy and not another? Because I chose to marry her. Not because she was perfect. Not because she never sinned against me. But because I chose to love her. I cast my lot with her. I said, there is nobody else I want to marry. And I won't want to marry someone else in 50 years. This is my wife. I love her. And every day I wake up and I have that same determination. Before my feet hit the ground, I look at her and say, that is my wife. Whatever I do today, I will honor her as my wife. There's no one else for me. You can call that a soulmate or you can call that whatever. I just call it a willful, unmerited choice. Amy didn't earn that. And I didn't earn that from Amy. She doesn't deserve it. And I don't deserve her love for me. And that's a biblical kind of love. Now don't hear me wrong. I'm head over heels attracted to her. But attraction follows willful love. You see, the truth is that God loved us when we were unlovable. And now He sings over us. Because He intensely loves us. Don't tell me there has to be some spark. There was no spark when God loved you. Are you going to call His love into question? So when we're talking about this love, we're talking about an unmerited and unearned love. And if you ever, if you ever get it the other way, you will destroy your marriage. If you ever start thinking in the terms of merit, what, have my husband, what has my husband done to make me love him? What has my wife done to earn my love? You will destroy your marriage. Because we are both sinners, and there's not one thing we can do to change the fact that we will sin against one another in our marriage. So, His love, men, is unmerited. Therefore, our love must be unmerited. His love is intense. His love is intense. If we look at Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, it says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Do you understand this? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you know the context? Let me tell you. He's hours from dying. This is in some ways the finale of his life. 
And he says, all my life I've wanted to eat this meal with you. So then I can go die for you. If we're measuring intensity, there can't be a more intense statement than, I have desired to eat this last meal with you. All my three and a half years of walking the earth with you men was so we could get to this moment so I can eat with you and then go die that you may live forever. That's intensity. I told this story, or part of this story, before I got married, I sat down with men in my life. Men that I respected, men that I knew. Some of them knew me, some of them didn't. It didn't matter. I saw all of them as models in marriage. And one of the men I sat down with was my adopted grandfather, Jack Sherman. He single-handedly almost built our school. He was a CB in World War II in the South Pacific. He married just before he left. He was married over 70 years before he died. Sitting in his little living room, modest home, with his wife Martha, I said, what do you say, what do you say has been the way you have loved your wife? He had one simple answer. Every day I lived, every minute of that day was that Martha might live. Every time I went to work, it was so Martha could live. Every time I came through the door, my only thought was, may Martha live a better life. We don't have the biggest house, but we've got all we can have. We got the very best we've ever we could ever have. And Martha, with tears streaming down her face, said, "Every day he lived, I felt that love. It's intense. It's more intense than any fireside ring exchange could ever hope to be. When you know." Men, that you're going to work every day and you're putting on, uh, putting, making, putting decisions in order of your wife first. Every time you do that, you communicate love and she hears it loud and clear. So there's an intensity. In a sense, what Jack was telling me was he long desired to eat one last meal with his wife and die. Having that love last till he ate that last meal. That, that's what he wanted. That was his goal in life. He lived it every day. Our love is unmerited, men. That means she doesn't have to earn it. Our love is never ending in this life. It will last the test of time because it is intense. It is unending. John 13, 1 Jesus, in this chapter, is going to unfold His teaching about the life and the meaning of His life. In this chapter, in the chapters to come through chapter 16, it's all about His last message to His disciples. 
And what he does in the context of his disciples squabbling over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus makes the statement in John 13, 1, that I've loved you to the end. I've loved you to the end. Often Amy says to me, are you certain we won't be married in heaven? Yes. Well, what if we want to be married? We won't want to be married then. Well, but how do you know we won't want to be married? And then I go through the theology of it. I did that for a long time. She kept asking me this. She's not hard of hearing. She's not slow. She's very smart. Why does she keep asking this? I've learned to answer the question. Men, in case your wife asked that. The answer they're looking for is, I will love you till I go to heaven. That's really what she's asking. Will your love be unending? Will you never leave me or forsake me? She's not really worried about whether she'll be, have that kind of love in heaven. She knows Christ will love her that way then. What she wants to know is, when you're being put into the ground, well, I have been your only wife. Will you have loved me with unending love? And so the answer to that is, yes. Yes, not because of some romantic feeling that may come or go, but because I choose to love you every day that way. And the intensity of that is shown by the priorities I place in my life. So God's unending love, Christ's unending love, calls us, us to have this same kind of love. Fourthly, it's an unselfish love. If we're trying to understand this love, we've got to understand this love is unselfish. It makes decisions above itself, beyond itself, for others outside of itself. You remember this uh, in Ephesians 2. If you turn back to Ephesians 2 in our study, verses 6 through 7. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God loves us so that He might give more and more of His riches to us in Christ for all of eternity. I often love people in this congregation and in my friend circle and even my wife so that they will give back to me. Have you ever been guilty of that? God is not guilty of that. He is not loving you so you will give back to Him. You have nothing and I have nothing God wants, really, or needs. He loves us so that He can give to us. And it's not just that He gave us His Son, but now in His Son, He's given us everything. The secret to contentment for you probably it sits in this, that you know your home is not this earth. You're struggling with contentment? That's really the answer, is my home is not here. The contentment that you seek and desire and long for with all of humanity is the contentment of knowing that what you have cannot be taken from you. And the only way that's the case is if it is where? With Christ. That's the only hope of contentment. And so this love is an unselfish love, men. Our acts of kindness cannot have on the backside 
something our wife owes us. Particularly, men, speaking frankly, particularly, it can't be that you're doing these things so that she will give you what you want in the bedroom. If that is your motivation, she will see it and she will despise the motivation and she will cut off the covenant expression of love, which is sexual. Some of you live in cold homes right now because you're trying to put your wife in owing you mode. And this love cannot be you owe me. It must be unmerited, therefore she can't earn it. It must be intense. It must be unselfish. Why do you bathe the children, put them to bed? Why do you wash the dishes? Why do you repair the things around the home that need to be repaired? Not because she's in debt to you now. If she is, then you've wiped out all the love that's Christ-centered. Christ never fed a poor person in hopes that that poor person would then give him something. Christ never mended the brokenhearted with hopes that they would one day mend his broken heart. He only did what He did out of pure, unmerited favor. When He healed a blind person, it wasn't so that blind person would make a million bucks and give Him some of it. He never stooped to wash the disciples' feet and then sit down and hand them the basin and say, wash my feet now. You owe me. Never. Not once. And so men, just to be very pointed, because I see it in my own life, and I've done it, in my own life, you can't put her in the OU mode because you live like a godly husband. As in that, you have revealed you're not living as a godly husband. Christ's love is unselfish, and so ours must be also. It denies itself, it gives of itself, and there is no limit. When Paul says, husbands, love your wives with an unmerited love, an intense love, an unending love, and an unselfish love... Love like the Lord loves you. He served you. Now go serve your wife. That's what Paul's saying. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. He didn't give Himself only on the cross. He gave Himself every day from the manger to the cross. Fifthly, it's a purposeful love. It, it, it doesn't, it's not by chance that He does the things He does. Or that we do the things we do. Look what it says. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Verse 26 and 27. Why? That He might sanctify her. That was His purpose. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. That's how He would sanctify her. So that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. This is God's purpose. This is Christ's purpose. He's making His church into this beautiful, unspotted bride that He can give back to His Father on the Day of Judgment. He's making a gift for His Daddy. And His gift will be perfect. And men, this, is, this, must, be, this must be our thoughts. You will not disciple your wife on accident. You will not lead her further to Christ by accident. By waking up every day with no objective and no plan. 
You won't. You won't do it with your children either. We'll get to that in chapter 6. Amy and I spend a lot of time at night in our room or around the table drinking hot tea talking about what's going well, what's not going so well, and what our aim is for the next month or the next two weeks or the next year. We do that because it is necessary we be purposeful. If she's not receiving the kind of love that she needs to receive in some areas, I can't figure that out through telepathic wavelengths. So I've got to give her the freedom to sit with me and tell me those things. I've got to open the door and ask the hard question. How am I failing you at this moment? What am I doing that is offending you at this moment? I want to know. This is an intentional love. A purposeful love. And it must be not over those just spiritual things, but also over very practical things. All the way down to the money we spend. It has to be purposeful. And when it's not, it's reckless. And when it's reckless, the love will diminish, will fall down. What I see being portrayed and what you see being portrayed on the movie screens, the TV screens, and in our neighborhoods and in our own homes is that we live at the brink of divorce. What we do is we see how far can I go before she's going to lose her temper. I'm going to go all the way to the edge of that. How far can I go before you know, I hurt her feelings? Well, I'm going to go all the way to the edge of that. And what happens is that goes on week after week after week, and then you throw the Hail Mary romantic bomb that hopefully pulls her back off the ledge. And then we try to push it to the very edge, and, and we lob another romantic volley her way and hope it pulls her back. It's this swing set effect. That's not, that's not intentional. That's not purposeful. So rather, I should be thinking, how will the next week, two weeks, month, year, five years look if we become more like Christ? How do we reach that objective? What is the objective? And what does that look like? In every area, and then how do we get there? That's being the leader of your home. Sitting with her and having that conversation. And hearing from her and also speaking with her, frankly and lovingly. Exchanging. It is purposeful. Marriage love is, in, is purposeful. And it's made obvious. It's made obvious. It's manifested into the world. Jesus in many places says that He loves His, his bride. He loves His church. He says it this way in John's Gospel. These things I've spoken to you so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's a, he, how did He manifest His love? He overcame the world. I've, I've come that you may have life and that life more abundant. That's a manifestation of His love. I've come to be the servant of all, not to be served by all. That's a manifestation of His love. So here's where we come to the very practical end, guys. It's not just enough to be unmerited in our love and intense in our love, unselfish in our love and purposeful in our love. That's not enough. We must also make it obvious to her that we love her. 
You don't want your wife to think at the end of the day, he could have done what he did for me today for any woman in the world being just as happy. You want to say to her through action and word, you're the only one that I do these things for. Don't leave that to assumption. Fill in the blank. Jesus could have died on the cross and never told them what the purpose of the cross was and just said, well, they'll figure it out. But the truth is, as we see, they wouldn't have figured it out. Even with him having told them, this is my love for you, I'm dying in your place, they still didn't get it. Okay? It'll be the same way in your home. Men, you must be intentional in your communication. Finally, you must be sacrificial. At the end of the day, we sum it all up by saying, this is a sacrificial love. Greater love has no one than this. That one lays down his life for his friends. If you want to stay in your marriage till the end of your life, you must sacrifice everything. There's no other hope for your marriage. In Ephesians 5.25, the husband is saying to his wife, or God, the Apostle Paul is saying to you husbands about you and your love for your wife. Your love for your wife must be lived as Christ lived out the atonement. You can't save any of you. So, we've seen these seven... Seven things that describe better for us what it means to love like Christ loved the church. And one of the things we will have to fight as we continue through this sermon series is the thought. Well, I would like, I mean, you're going to think this way, I would like to love like that, but I'm afraid. If I'm that vulnerable, if I live that with that little of abandon uh, of, of self-aware of self-preservation uh, in my life, it will cost me, and it might cost me everything. I may love her this way, and she may embarrass me by leaving me, by abandoning me. That is a real opportunity, men. Just because you love your wife this way does not mean she will reciprocate that. She may very well leave you. So the biggest, I think the biggest holdup for men like me and men like you is we're always trying to save part of ourselves, Hold on to our dignity. So that when the bad thing comes, if it does, we're hedged our bet. We still got some of us. We never gave it to her. And all I would say to you is, aren't you glad? Aren't you eternally grateful? That that's not how Christ loved you? That He didn't go to the cross saying, I'm going to give 99%, but that 1% I'm leaving to myself. They'll have to make that up if they want a relationship with me. I'll do everything up to a point, but then they got to kick in their part. Christ became completely undignified. He hung naked before a mocking world with one thought I love my father and I love my bride and I hold nothing back it's finished 
when I draw my last breath, men, may this be our pledge to our Father and to this community together. When we draw our last breaths, we can look into the, the wife of our youth's eyes and say to her, it's finished. I've loved you to the end. You never need to doubt that I gave you everything I had. It's yours.